0: I worked, I saved my money and I had bought my first property by the time I was 25 actually um, which in the suburbs uh, was quite an achievement.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Amanda Farmer, owner of Lawyers Chambers a strata-focused legal practice and host of your strata living podcast. She will demystify the legal complexities of apartment living and share a story about her home being forced into sale by the New South Wales government plus much, much more. Amanda Farmer is an accomplished strata lawyer and the host of your strata property podcast the world's only podcast dedicated to exploring the legal complexities of strata titled properties. Pharma shares with us a little bit about herself and what she does.
0: I am a lawyer who helps property owners to demystify the legal complexities of apartment living and I do that by providing resources and guidance inside an online membership community which is called Your Strata Property.
1: We find out about strata and what some of us might already know it as.
0: The term strata does trip up a few people because they don't necessarily link it to apartment living and in different states of Australia, they call strata apartments different things. They might call it uh, body corporate. Some people are more familiar with the term body corporate than strata. So, it's something that I sometimes have to explain when I say, I'm a strata lawyer. They say, oh, what's that?
1: she tells us about the factors that make up a strata building.
0: So, it is apartments, whether low-rise or high-rise, uh, not freestanding houses. It's a form of uh, titling, we would say, as lawyers, a way of developing land into a uh, buildings that numerous people can then live in uh, but we also have uh, low-rise communities that we might or that might also be strata or might be community living we call it and they might be townhouses or villas so we don't always assume that strata living or apartment living is a high-rise block it can also be low-rise and we do have more and more um, common really these extended expansive communities that contain strata buildings but then also contain Large common facilities like a a recreation area or a country club, private roads, a gym, uh, a golf course. So, developers are getting really clever about using this kind of titling structure, and that makes me really excited.
1: Even with a lot on a plate, farmer can still manage to have a fairly easy going day to day life.
0: My day at the moment, uh, well, on the personal side, I start with getting my six-year-old ready for kindergarten. We started kindergarten this year, which is uh, interesting. Um Thank you. Uh, I, I do the morning shift of the parenting. My husband works early and finishes early, so he's on the afternoon shift. Uh, we walk to school, which is lovely. We uh, just have a new puppy that we've welcomed into our family the last couple of weeks. So we walk our puppies to school. Uh, and then probably two or three days a week, I'm actually working from my home office, uh, which I really love to do. I uh, have set up, I, I have a podcast myself, so I've got my office set up for my videos and my Recordings. Um, I generally enjoy a fairly peaceful day, let's say that. Uh, I I don't like going to court too often, so I try to keep away from that, but I do lots of emails, uh, writing advice letters for clients, whether they're strata managers or owners or developers. I might have a telephone conference or two. Uh, If I've got a new client, I'll often go out on site, so I'll go and see their property or their building, pictures worth a thousand words. I like to do that. And on Fridays, I generally record interviews for my own podcast. I'm talking to influencers and key people in our sector uh, and sharing good information for Strata owners and Strata managers. So, uh, I might squeeze some exercise in. That's always a good idea in the afternoon. Um, But I am ruled by my calendar. If it's not in the calendar, it does not get done.
1: In spite of being a successful lawyer… Farmer has great ambitions and decide to do something about it.
0: I started uh, my own business about 6 years ago and before that, I had worked for the same firm for about 10 years. So, I really came out of uni, um, worked for the one small business uh, and then moved into my own business. And in while I was working for somebody else, we actually did a lot of family law, if you can believe that. Uh, and this is going somewhere. <laughs> um helping people with their divorces, their property settlements and their children. Um, And I wasn't really into that. We we did a little bit of strata law as well, but the bulk of it was family law. I enjoyed the strata much more. I found it exciting, challenging, fast-changing, always something new coming up that the legislation didn't cover and that the lawyers hadn't thought of. And so, when I started my own practice, I decided from day one that it was going to be a Strata specialist practice. And that was super scary because (laughs) it meant leaving behind uh, a big bunch of clients and potential revenue from family law, which was very nicely paying and basically starting from scratch. So, what I did was go out and start delivering free workshops to Strata managers. So, the um, professionals who manage these apartment buildings, a bit different to property managers who might manage it just a rental for a landlord, but these guys are managing the whole building, looking after the common facilities and working with the strata committee to solve all the day-to-day problems so I'd go to their office and deliver them a one or two hour workshop on an interesting subject and that's how they got to know me got to know that I was the new kid on the block and I knew what I was talking about and started building up my business and that soon turned into delivering presentations for owners as well and I'd be go to these evenings and deliver presentations and I'd answer as many questions as I could but I would then have a line of owners at the end of the night still with these burning questions that they wanted me to answer. And I found that the answer that I could give in in two minutes that was very easy for me was such a big win for them and such value to them that I thought, hey, these people shouldn't have to be paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour on lawyer's billable rates to be able to get this advice and I thought there's got to be a platform where I can leverage this position and rather than presenting to a room of 50 or 100 owners, uh, I can present to thousands every week and deliver these uh, short pieces of information that solve big problems for people who are living in apartments so therein the podcast was born.
1: After growing up in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, Farmer found it hard to leave that area.
0: I grew up in southeast Sydney in a suburb called Chifley, which a lot of people don't know when I say it. It is past Maroubra. That's often more well-recognized in the southeast. It's near Little Bay and La Perouse. Uh, and I grew up there with my parents, my older sister, and my younger brother. And I've pretty much stayed uh, in a similar area. I'm in the eastern suburbs now. Um, I went to school to a, an all-girls Catholic school in Waverley, and I can pretty much see that school now. From my office window, so <laughs> haven't gone too far.
1: The place that you come from can easily shape the person that you become.
0: I mean, Maribyrnong has has changed significantly. Um, I am in uh, close to Bondi at the moment, and at the amenity that we have here we've got the marvelous Westfield. With any, anyone who lives in the eastern suburbs will remember when that opened up uh, and the train station. Uh, I think families. Young families who are trying to get their children into good schools tend to flock to this area and that's actually putting a bit of a strain on the schools, um, finding it hard there. Um, It's just, I I love living here because I can walk out the door and I am in the middle of everything. Uh, I can be on the train in the city in 10 minutes. I can be at the beach. Uh, I We have a car but I probably haven't been in it for about four weeks Uh, and I just love living like that. I love walking uh, and that's the beauty of being in an area. uh, It's high density but it has all of the good stuff that comes with an area with a, a vibrant community.
1: After high school, Farmer decided to pursue her lifelong desire and continued her studies until she achieved it.
0: I did go straight to university. Uh, I actually did an arts degree first. Uh, I should track back and say I'm one of the few lawyers who actually came out of the womb wanting to be a lawyer. Uh, I realise now <laughs> the more lawyers I've met, how unusual that is and I'm and I'm a happy lawyer, also unusual. Um, I finished school and I, I wanted to do law but I wanted to do it at a, a particular place. I wanted to go to Sydney University. I didn't get the 99.9 infinity that you need to get to get into law there. Uh, so I started there with an arts degree and I majored in ancient history and English. And I actually, what I did do in the first year of uni was I got a job in a legal practice because I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. I better go and see what it's really like. Uh, and I started working part time and have, have always worked since I was at school. Um, After three years of arts, I decided I still wanted to be a lawyer and I did graduate law at Sydney University. So that was another three years of law. But having that practical experience all throughout that process was just invaluable because I didn't finish my law degree and then go and get a job and say, oh, this is what lawyers do. They just sit at a computer and write letters all day. Uh, I thought, uh, they do just sit at a computer and write letters all day. At least civil lawyers do, uh, but I quite enjoy that. So um, anybody who's looking for a career change or as a young person or is you know looking to find out what a career is all about, uh, definitely get out there and experience that for yourself. Don't guess or assume.
1: Parents can influence in so many different ways, and for pharma, it was quite unique.
0: No influence for my parents to go into law. Um, my parents, I, I am. I'm pretty sure the. First, and may remain uh, to date the only member of my family um, to go to university. So it certainly wasn't something um, that was um like known to us that you know that's what you did or that we were pressured to do at all. Um, my parents both own their own small businesses. So my mum owns a childcare center uh and my dad had a business in demolition and excavation. Uh, so very much my work ethic comes from my parents and it was always drilled into us that whatever it was that you were doing, you were working, you know. Um, and if you, uh, I was at home while I was studying. I was studying and working, stayed at home. Um, the other thing that was drilled into us was property ownership. Definitely, um, that's that's where I get that from. Uh, I, I worked, I saved my money, and I had bought my first property by the time I was twenty-five, actually, um, which in the suburbs uh, was quite an achievement. <laughs>
1: coming up after the break we'll delve into Amanda farmer's journey and how she got started in property
0: I was saving up money for a property and I said to him hey you should do the same thing you know you should buy a property and um, it's a really good idea
1: the advantage is a strata living
0: I'd made a decision a couple of years ago that I wanted to travel more um, as a family and we'd already had that in in chain that we'd had a a European trip that we'd done and we are scheduling another one and I thought if we do this every year, we want to be able to just lock up and leave.
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. So, how did farmer become interested in venturing down the path of property investment?
0: I had met my uh, my boyfriend, who is now my husband. Uh, I think I, I think I was about twenty when we met, uh, and we were together for a few years. And he had he was a little bit older than me, so he'd been working full time, had saved up some money. I was saving up money for a property, and I said to him, "Hey, you should do the same thing. You know, you should buy a property, and um, it's a really good idea." He didn't sort of have the same background with his upbringing um, that I did in terms of property ownership. You know, my parents would sit around the table with my uncle and my auntie and someone was always buying something and and talking about it and that was always interesting and exciting to me. Uh, So, I helped him on his property journey by his first apartment. He bought a one-bedroom unit in Kingsford. um, And he renovated that. Uh, And I watched him do this. He renovated the bathroom, um, spruced it up a bit. uh, And he then lived in it for a short while. Um, I then, the year that we were engaged to be married, I then had saved enough money to have a deposit on a two-bedroom property, which ended up being in the block just next to him. I was just on the border with Kingsford and Randwick. Um, and so by the time we were married, he had a property that he owned, and I had a property that I owned, which was just a fabulous position to be in, uh, and an unusual one for our generation uh, at that age. Um, and so we uh we also renovated my property. We renovated the bathroom and the kitchen, new coat of paint. So these little things that you can do in strata apartments that can really add value. Um, when we were both looking, we were looking for properties that we could we could do that with. We were looking for older style properties. Um, both of them were sort of 1960s you know, red brick walk-ups. I think my building had eight units in it. His had about 16 units in it. Um, so a nice size. And we were able to make those improvements. And we each lived in them, which was great. Um, and then when we got married, he moved in with me and we rented out his apartment. So he had some nice income from that as well.
1: Farmer talks about the properties she has invested in with her husband and shares the story of how it influenced the decision on where to buy.
0: We ended up selling his one-bedroom and we bought a house. So, the funds that we got from that sale was the deposit on a house in Randwick. So, again, (laughs) we didn't move very far. Uh, We then rented out my two-bedroom and we lived in the house. So, we kind of um, had established this sort of piggyback process where we bought one, we lived in it. We bought another one, we rented out the other and lived in it. We sold that one, used that for the deposit for the next property. Uh, And I think for for young people today who are just getting started, I think, um, you know, I don't profess to be a property investment expert, but I think that's a a great strategy. Uh, You're living in these properties, so there's some tax benefits there, uh, and you're improving them while you're there if you can, renovating bathrooms and kitchens. Um, So we'd sold his, we'd bought our, our house, and we then lived in that house for about nine years Uh, and in the process, we sold my two bedroom as well and that funded the start of my business.
1: There were a lot of different factors that need to be accounted for when she bought property and some of them were out of their control.
0: The house that we bought uh, at four. At first, I thought we wouldn't be able to afford it. I had gone to look at it. Uh, I thought, oh, it's going to be completely out of our price range. Um, But the house sat on the market for a little while um, and by the time it came back around to us, the owner had lowered their price, their expectations, and they were really ready to sell. The house didn't have any parking, but it had an expired DA approval for a driveway and for parking. So, we looked at that and said, you know what, we could live with no parking for two years. We both ride motorbikes at that stage uh, and we can apply to council to put in a driveway and there's another value add down the track. So, we did that in the process, uh, had the parking added in and parking with a house in Randwick, uh, immediately we added some significant value. Um, we renovated the uh, the house within about five years after we had our son. Uh, we did quite a big renovation. And then one day we got a letter from the state government that said, we are compulsorily acquiring all of the properties in this street because the Prince of Wales Hospital is expanding and we want to Knock down your house. <laughs> so that was um, what's a, a forced sale, and a, a compulsory acquisition is a forced sale to the government. Now, if I track back and say, when we bought this property, it, it is between the hospital and the University of New South Wales. Anyone who knows the area will probably know exactly where I'm talking about. Uh, and we bought it, um, at least in my mind, knowing that one day it would be bought by a developer university, the hospital. It was just that sweet spot and we knew that the university already owned a number of houses in that street. Um, And I've always been a person who, uh, I don't buy forever family homes. Um, It's just not in my blood. I I like where I live and I'm comfortable, but I always think, okay, what's, this is my family home, but what's the value that we can add here and what is this area going to do in the next five, 10 plus years. So, I was thinking that when we bought and when we got this letter, I said to my husband, here it is. This is the day that we talked about. Uh, We now need to negotiate very seriously and make sure we get the best deal we can from the state government. So, what they do in those situations is they pay for your legal fees. So, we immediately hire a lawyer who is an expert in compulsory acquisitions and they pay for you to get your own valuer as well so we had that lawyer recommend a really good valuer Um, and we knuckled down and we um, back and forth with the state government about what we thought uh, a good price to pay was for the property Um, they do pay market value and they also pay compensation on top of that so they will pay your stamp duty on your next property they will pay disturbance an amount for disturbance Uh, everybody's disturbance is different depending on your particular situation Um, but From our position, we basically got a 200 grand windfall from selling them.
1: She gives some wise advice to anyone that finds themselves in a similar position.
0: I say all of this knowing that I I am in the property sector. I am a lawyer. This kind of stuff I am more comfortable with than the average person. And there were a lot of uh, displaced people in our street, elderly people, people with families who the kids were in school up the road. And it was a very emotional, very difficult time. Um, The process got bad media, um, but that's kind of the way it goes with these processes. Nobody wants to talk to me, for example, who actually had a good experience Yeah, they want the, the, the sad stories but I, my advice to anyone in that situation is just make sure you get good legal representation, somebody who understands your rights and will fight for them and make sure that all of your costs are covered uh, and, a, and a good valuer who will go into bat for you when you have that round table discussion and, and try and get as much as you can.
1: After going through that ordeal, Farmer proved that no matter how bad it can be, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: The process was probably about a year from the time you get the letter saying that this is going to happen. There are um, legal timeframes that they have to allow you, so it doesn't happen fast. We probably moved more quickly in terms of agreeing on a sale price because I was quite keen to do that um, at the time when the market was strong. This was January 2018, so it was kind of the end of that really strong market that we had in Sydney. And we were confident that, you know, we were going ahead and this was something that we wanted. So about a year. And then we decided actually to purchase a Strata apartment to live in. So 10 years of living in a house, we decided to go back to Strata. And I have to um, to let my husband off the hook here. It was actually my suggestion. It was something that I was really keen to do. Um, And thinking about why... It gets back to that convenience, I think. We we had this beautiful house, we had the front yard, the backyard, we'd done the renovation. We've only got one child, so the space was already too big for us. Um as much as we said we love having a garden and we want to do fabulous things with it and we want to spend our weekends maintaining it, we didn't want to do that. We weren't doing that. We're paying people to do that, you know. Um you don't you work all week, you don't want to spend your weekend working on your house and that's often what happens when you have a house. Now living in Strata is very different. You you walk in your front door and it's all much more contained and you don't have that outdoor area and you don't have those maintenance responsibilities because they're shared by the building and that's all done according to a, a schedule. Um, I'd made a decision a couple of years ago that I wanted to travel more um, as a family and we'd already had that in, in chain that we'd had a a European trip that we'd done and we are scheduling another one. And I thought if we do this every year, we want to be able to just lock up and leave. Um, I wanted to stay in the area, so I wanted to stay in the east and I knew that we'd be spending more money buying a house then in the east and we could save a bit of money buying just as beautiful and just as spacious an apartment, which is what we ended up doing, uh, and really significantly reducing our debt so that we could focus on that lifestyle.
1: She explains what the best amount of units to have in a building and the reasoning behind it.
0: Two to four, you can have problems because if there is a disagreement, it's really hard to resolve that. Your neighbours sort of right there uh, and you see each other every day and it's hard to raise money for significant works. So, bigger than that is generally my suggestion. Uh, there is some research that the sweet spot is about 40 units because that apparently is small enough to have a nice community where you know each other, you remember each other, you can say hi and bye, you remember names, but large enough that you have the funds to meet significant uh, expenses. So, if we need to replace the roof membrane, then raising a levy for everyone to contribute to that cost is not so overwhelming. So, I found that really interesting. And I um, currently own and live in an apartment block of Thirty-seven.
1: Everyone always finds that moment when everything suddenly seems to fall into place.
0: I think I would say that point about improving property and especially and even if it's your family home, uh, I have been very committed and I suppose this has come from being successful early on with our apartments that we bought. Very committed to don't buy new, buy something that you can improve on. And whether that is a, a full renovation or just a, a small aspect like a bathroom or a repainting, uh, looking at property and thinking how can I improve on this, and if you can't improve in any way, um, then you better be in it for the <laughs> for the long haul. Uh, and when you think about strata and apartments, um, and this is why another reason why I love it. There's so many other ways that you can improve because you can improve the building. You can look at spaces where, okay, where can we add parking? Um, That's something that we did with my two-bedroom. We added a parking space in front of everybody's garage. And because I understood the process for how to do that legally, uh, I was able to do it for the building. We registered a bylaw on the title. And so when it came time to sell, we sold that apartment with two parking spaces instead of one. So, there's, there's lots of opportunity for that kind of thing. Where can, where can the building expand uh, to the rooftop and build two more apartments on the roof and then sell those apartments and, and take a windfall for everybody in the building? Where can we add sustainable features in the building? So, where can we go green? Where can we go solar? Where can we install better lighting and save money? And so, when I'm looking at apartments, I'm looking at all the ways that this building is not doing very well and that if I can come in with my knowledge and be able to improve, then that's gonna improve my bottom line when it comes time to sell.
1: So inspired by Amanda Farmer's journey and an amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story. We will discuss her advice on renovating property.
0: This is a mistake that I see lots of investors make. They think that they can just buy a rundown old apartment, they can guss it, do uh, produce something fabulous, do a um a block renovation, uh, a Cherie Barber renovation, and um and they'll be making a mozo and they'll do it, turn it all around in four weeks. That is not going to happen.
1: The best piece of advice that she still lives by today.
0: The best advice uh, has probably come from a mentor of mine, uh, which is be uncomfortable with uncertainty. So, um, this is something that I find a lot of people struggle with and I struggle with it as well.
1: And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory.